Thank you, Brad. Wasn't that good? I'm grateful. Thank you, Brad. All right, so uh, let's, before we start studying the Word, let's go to the Lord. Father, we, uh, we always need help when we study your Word. Uh, it is living, but Lord, I pray that it would minister to us, to, that it would speak to us, uh, that the words would come off the page, and Lord, we would ap- apply what we learn. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Chad was talking about the baptism of Jesus. And to just refresh your, your memory, uh, Jesus goes to meet John the Baptist there in the Jordan River. And you imagine what that probably felt like to, to John the Baptist, right? That's a bit overwhelming. And, and he even responds that way. He's not even fit to mess with his sandals. And Jesus goes in obedience and is baptized. And what happens? What falls on him? The, the Spirit, right? And it says that it comes down uh, like, like a dove descending down upon him. And he goes in the power of the Spirit to do his ministry. Right immediately following that moment, we see Jesus journey into the wilderness. The, the wilderness is like barren desert. It's really harsh. Um, and if you've ever seen it there in Israel, there's nothing. There's a few little sagebrushy kinds of things. But, I mean, it would be a, a really tough, tough experience. And he's, he, he goes out there for 40 days and he fasts. Um, I don't know if you've, any of you have fasted for uh, more than a day, but it's, it's really difficult. And Jesus goes and spends that time with his father. But also what happens to him while he's there? The tempter comes, right? Satan comes and tempts him three times. And Jesus overcomes and he, he fights against the temptation by s- quoting scripture. And it's a really uh, amazing scripture to read if, you, if you'd like to read Luke chapter 4. And right after that moment, it says that he's, and we're going to read it here in just a second, he continues on with the Spirit going about his ministry. And so he's going to follow the promptings of his father. He's going to go up into the northern country. Down south is like Judea, and up north is going to be Galilee. And it's beautiful in Galilee. I could totally live there. Green, just spectacular. Jesus spends his time in Capernaum. And so I want to start uh, this message, Jesus the man, uh, in, in verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. And it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone, everyone praised him. Everybody's excited about this. Everybody is watching what he's doing, and what happens in just a couple of verses is is that an entire year goes by. So we have to use the Gospels together to understand that what, what Dr. Luke is just now talking about is Jesus journeys up into Capernaum, and he's doing miraculous things. Uh, this would be like the stories of, of demons coming out of people, and Jesus healing people, and his preaching is incredible. And everybody, is their jaw is hitting the ground, going, I can't believe I get to see this. I get to experience this. One day, whenever we are in heaven, I'm hoping that he pushes play on the videos that, so we could see all this stuff. Because I just have, I have the text, and I want so much to see the people's reaction. And what is funny is, the reaction you get from this scripture is crazy. You're going to see here in just a moment. But Jesus, again, goes on with the power of the Spirit, and he's journeying around, and he's teaching in all these synagogues. And the synagogues operated like you had one person that was kind of in charge, and then you had an attendant. And you would make your circuit around, and the person that was in it was going, oh, Jesus is in town. I'll have him come, and he'll preach on the Sabbath. And so they secured Jesus for that particular uh, Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday, that Sabbath. 
Um, what we don't know is if there was like a lectionary. You know what the lectionary is? It's a, a scheduled scripture like the one today for me reading to you. It's assigned per each Sunday for the church. And back in that day, they would also have some, some sort of uh, lectionary. And what we don't know is if Jesus was assigned this scripture and it was just God's providential moment. But it's absolutely amazing what scripture he, he finds for the day. Okay? And so it says this, he went to Nazareth. And where he had been brought up, you remember that, on the Sabbath day when he went into the synagogue, he, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Remember, Nazareth, Nazareth is kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's where Jesus would have grown up, but it's very small, and uh, they, we know it's a small town, but we know that there's at least 10 families in the area, so they can establish their own synagogue. And so Jesus comes and he takes his turn, and I wonder if uh, who's in the audience. You know some of these people know him, maybe the babysitters, maybe the uh, kids that were on Jesus' soccer team or something growing up, I don't know. But, there, but you know that there's some uh, relationship. There's some, we know that guy. And so he stands up and he grabs the scroll, and in that culture they stand, they read the word, and as soon as they're done uh, reading the scroll, they sit down and teach, which is, sounds like a nice deal. Uh, they sit down in comfort and they teach, and everybody's kind of rallied around. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus uh, reads the, this scripture, and it's from Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this scripture that Jesus is reading is hundreds of years old. And this would have been something that Isaiah wrote for people in the future. It's a prophecy. But they're thinking uh, this was supposed to happen after we came back from exile. This is like people coming back from foreign lands and, okay, we're moving back into our, 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 our hometown and we're all going to get our stuff back. We're going to get our property back. We're going to get my, all these other things. Uh, slaves would be let go. It'd be kind of like what's called a year of jubilee. Maybe you've heard the term. So on f after 50 years, on the 50th year, it would be like any indentured servant, you would be set free. If you owed people money, that would be canceled. If, you, if somebody else had possession and was working your family's field and you somehow lost it, it would be returned to you. So it's like the greatest do-over. So the people have returned back from exile, and some hundreds of years have gone by, and their do-over never happens. And they're probably thinking, What's the deal? This prophecy, we've been waiting for hundreds of years and none of this is happening. Maybe you'd be a little frustrated, right? And maybe you'd be thinking, hey, I, I'm kind of deserving. I mean, God told Isaiah this and it's not happening, so what's the deal? Maybe a little bit folded arms kind of a response to this kind of a reading. And so Jesus reads this scripture and he's, his response is absolutely amazing. But you've got to also get into the heart and the mind of the people that are hearing this for the first time because they're desperate for this fulfillment. They're absolutely desperate. I'll read it to you again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and they're waiting for it, right? He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and they're waiting, and recovery of sight for the blind, they're still waiting, and the oppressed, there's always the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, like Jubilee. And so you imagine how they feel. Verse 20, watch Jesus' response. 
Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. So he's about to do what? He's about to preach or teach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were glued to Jesus. They were really curious as to what he is about to say because as they followed and heard all the stories about Jesus, this guy is a miracle man. So what is he going to teach us? He says this, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Talk about a short sermon. But a powerful one, right? Just, Just to read the scripture and just to sit down and say, it's done. Now what's going through their head? They're thinking, well, we're, we're, we're maybe kind of looking around, and I don't see much transformation and change. Uh, but they're still waiting. All spoke well of him and were amazed. This is verse 22. At the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. That's an interesting response, isn't it? Um, it would be like, the little guy who grows up in the church and they still, they pat him on the head even though he's now 40 years old. And they say, oh, I remember when you were just a little, a little whippersnapper. Yeah. Um, they're still identifying him as the son of or, or just a man. They're still not getting it. They're still not seeing it. And they haven't been privileged to maybe see all the miracles. So all of them spoke well. All were amazed. His gracious words. Thank you that this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's really great. Thank you, Jesus. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Well, we kind of know this. And maybe they're kind of pulling him in. Oh, buddy. Oh, pal. Oh, pal, man. We're in for some blessings now. The guy from Nazareth has returned back, and he's doing great things over there. Maybe he's going to do some great things here. Maybe we can start name dropping. Hey, that Nazarene, that's our guy. Maybe they're up for the benefit and the blessing, maybe the healings. You ever seen that TV show, Undercover Boss? Uh, it, the idea is you have a boss that's really wanting to understand the, um, the kind of the heartbeat of, his, of their, his or her people. And so they get dressed up. They wear a wig. They put on uh, all this makeup stuff and, and uh, maybe a whole new nose or something like that. And then they go and are employed at this business. And they work alongside the co- their coworkers, and they say, hey, hey, what do you think of the boss? Well, they don't have any idea that this is the boss, and so what do they do? Blah, blah, blah. Chad is a dirty, rotten, no good. He is just a, he's so terrible. And not knowing, Chad's right there talking, you know. And, and it's just this, it's so hard to watch. It's painful to watch. The last one I watched was um, uh, Gordon Ramsay. You, you know the name. The, he's basically the devil, but he's a cook. But but he's just this, he's a rough dude, but he's so mean. And, and so he goes in and he works alongside these people and people badmouth him. And then he just gives them the what for right after because they finally come to realize when he pulls off the makeup, oh my goodness, I was badmouthing the boss and here he is right in front of me. You know, I wonder um, how, how we would live, how we would respond if Jesus in body form were standing right in front of us. Um, I wonder if you would operate your life differently if he was a part of your small group. And I wonder if um, he showed up here, how you might worship differently. And that's, th- that's a question for you to kind of answer. And we may be preaching to the choir, but you may, you may have to ask yourself the question. Kind of the undercover boss, but the Savior of the world, listen, the Savior of the world is standing right here in front of these people, and they're just going, hey, um, that's Joseph's son, the little guy, you know. And uh, I think 
my knees would be knocking if, I had, if it had dawned on me in that moment. But Jesus said to them, this is verse 23, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. So he's going to look at their hearts here. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. So they know about all these miracles. Maybe they have a sense of entitlement. And now that you're home, bless us. But Jesus says this, verse 24. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet uh, Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. What's the commonality between those two people? They're Gentiles. They're not Jewish people. And so what is Jesus communicating to them? Jesus is a heavy hitter. I mean, he just blasted these people. What is he saying to them? The Gentile community is more welcoming and deserving of these kinds of blessings, these kinds of miracles. Ouch. You know, the Gentiles were thought of in the Jewish mind as like a dog. They would be, there was a saying that they were fuel for the fires of hell. So they had huge condemnation on the Jewish people. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you know those people that are dogs? They're the ones that are receiving and getting the blessings. You are a hard-headed people that are not willing to change. He's saying to them, I will not do these miracles because you do not accept me, and your excitement is for selfish reasons. Ouch. Jesus is setting the record straight, calling them out, calling them to the carpet. What would you do if you had been called out like that? Well, I would have probably been... I would have probably denied it, or I would, you know, if Jesus would put me under the hot lamp, I would probably squirm a little bit. But watch, these, watch the people's response. Verse 28. All the people, listen, all of them, all of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We went just from... Jesus, you are so fantastic. We just love all the things that you're saying. We're so glad that you're in our church or synagogue gathering to let's kill him. Let's walk him to the edge. You'll see there's a picture on the screen there of the cliff. And they marched him kind of up the road there, up to the rocks where that guy is uh, taking pictures from. And we're ready to throw him off the cliff. And you talk about the, the change of heart. What do you call a person from uh, Nazareth? A Nazarene. And as, I and as I read that, I thought, oh man, that's just kind of painful. We're not named after the Na those Nazarene people. We're named after who? The Nazarene, right? And the people that were identified as Nazarene because they were his followers. And, uh, and so as I began to think about that, what would be the difference between uh, a Nazarene here in our church or the Nazarene church as it works compared to these other folks. And so it'd be Nazarenes versus Nazarenes, if you will. And uh, to, to maybe kind of think through the difference in the posture of heart of those people versus what God is calling us to be. And as we look at the Isaiah verses, you'll see it there, 18 and 19. 
Jesus came and fulfilled all of these things. He was the fulfillment of all these old prophecies. I'm going to read this to you, and you can identify, maybe nod your head and go, yeah, that's the Lord, Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Has he done it? Absolutely. He has sent, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Do I have anybody that was once uh, bound in sin and absolutely toast until he came in and he broke those chains? Um, I identify. And I thank God for that, that he has fulfilled that scripture there. Has anybody in here been blind and now you see? Yeah. We see because of what he's done. We see because of what Jesus has accomplished. And so thanks be to God that he has done all those. And then we have this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Anybody um, owe any major debts to the, you know, because of their sin, because of their lifestyle that you just go, oh gosh, I can never fix this. Yeah. And he's almost, he has basically proclaimed jubilee, right? Freedom. You are no longer captive. You are no longer blind. You are now, all of your debts have been canceled by the blood of Jesus. Thanks be to God. So as we look at that scripture and we see what Jesus has done, we've seen a powerful movement. And he's done that. And he's, he's kind of told these people in just such a, you know, matter-of-fact kind of way. But I want you to hear this, and maybe you, maybe you would identify with some of these. Religious Nazarenes, they enjoy their pride. They believe that they have arrived. They think that they are doing everything right. They especially cannot take correction from young, some young whippersnapper like Jesus. While a Christ-following Nazarene is humble. They grow sweeter and softer as the years go by, and as they grow in Christ, they are moved, impacted, and are overcome with gratitude. Religious Nazarenes require comfort, power, and control. And Christ followers, Nazarene Christ followers, have traded in their rights and have adopted the mission. There is a harvest. There are people who haven't heard the message. There are people hungry, cold, lost, and lonely. Christ followers aren't afraid of risk, danger, investing in people, and they enjoy the mission because of the one who called them to this purpose. Christ followers may too have power and authority, but they always defer to Christ's power and his headship. Is that true? Religious Nazarenes, they are never wrong. Hopefully you pick up my sarcasm. They are not approachable. They cannot stand correction and rebuke. While Christ-following Nazarenes have seen their sin, they've repented and remain, remain hopeful that anyone and everyone might be saved. They don't necessarily enjoy a rebuke. Anybody enjoy a rebuke? But they can stand corrected and repent of sin. Kind of a silly little example. Um, when I was uh, working with youth, I had a, a, an event where I borrowed the church van and we went took the teens out. And the teens would do this thing where they would bounce in their seats and get the whole entire van, like, almost, almost the wheels off the ground. And then we would hit some corners, corners really good, and they would, they would squish each other, and the kids would be screaming, like, oh, this is the best day of our life. And I'd go, yeah, yeah I know. And um, one kid didn't, didn't particularly like it. When they got home, they went home to tell their dad, who happened to be an officer. Officers ruin everything. <laughs> just, just kidding, Darren. And so I, so the, the kid told on me, and then I got called into the pastor's office. And the pastor said, so um, you've been driving the van a little wildly. And I was like, oh, it's nothing. You know, we were having a good time. The kids are just hooting and hollering. It was great. 
And he's like, well, one kid didn't like it, and that's not safe, so you shouldn't do that. It's not a big deal, and you're going to have to call the parent and say you're sorry and never do that again. And I was like, oh, man, have you ever been in a spot like that where it's like, I'm not calling him. There's no way I'm saying sorry for that. Forget that. And so I had to get on the phone, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. Oh, it's all cool. Just don't ever do that again. And I was like, okay, you know, super, super awkward. But it, it hurts to get a rebuke. It hurts to get checked. And as Jesus checked these people, and I know my example is ridiculous. I apologize. But a real, a real example is too hard to, to share. But a, a, the, that, that rebuke from Jesus could have changed things for them. They could have fallen on their knees and said, oh, you know, we believe, we trust, we'll follow. But they didn't. And religious Nazarene can, uh, can save themselves. Hopefully you can pick up the sarcasm on that one. But Christ-following Nazarenes, they can't save themselves. They humbly bank it all in God and let him lead, save, and redeem. They cannot take pride in themselves. Instead, they take joy that they are not God, and they elevate the one that is God. Religious Nazarenes are easily angered and offended. Christ followers are slow to anger and gentle in approach. They have begun the journey of following God's pattern and working with others. And also, vengeance is the Lord's. The Lord is a shield for his people, amen? And Christ followers stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Christ followers can't lose since they are rooted in an eternal, eternal, and sovereign God. Religious Nazarenes treat God like a spiritual vending machine. Come on, Jesus, do the miracles like you did for them over there. We deserve it. We need it. Religious Nazarenes treat him like a vending machine, and they, um, one that they control. While Christ followers are willing to wait on God and seek to pursue his plans, they regularly drain themselves of their own will and ache for God's provision and God's timing. Is that true? Religious Nazarenes have major blind spots in their life. They fail to examine their own hearts, and they fight over places like seating spots in church and weird stuff like that. Christ-following Nazarenes pray that their eyes are open for God's opening doors to unlikely people, and they believe that God wants even the greatest sinners to be redeemed. Do you want that? God takes away their blinders so that they see the world from a higher and clearer perspective. Whose perspective is that? That's God's perspective. I know I rattled out a lot of stuff. There's a huge difference between who we are as a Nazarene people and a people set aside for God's purposes and those Nazarenes that cannot tolerate rebuke. They are unwilling to change. They're so hard-headed. And when God calls them out on things, they, they don't change. And so who, it, who is it that we are? We are a people that are laying open our hearts to say, God, I need you to do a good work in me. I need you to do a good work in our church because I can't change myself. You are going to do this work, and I am wide open to the Holy Spirit. So the question, the application questions for you. Will you accept the calling of a Nazarene, a person that identifies with Jesus' fulfillment of those ancient Isaiah scriptures? Will you acknowledge him as the king? Will you fight for his mission and his cause? Will you commit to avoiding becoming part of that Nazarene mob? I'm convinced that Jesus is so much more than just Joseph's son. I am convinced that he is, in fact, the king, that he is the Lord of Lords, that he loves people, even people that we don't understand or don't get along with. He loves them. And I, I, have a plan, I, have, I, have a, I believe that he has a plan to redeem so many more. And I believe that he is going to, that he is the Lord over all. Um, a few years ago, I found this video, and it was one of those, like, 
kind of life-changing moments for me as I saw this video. Because it's often the case that we forget who Jesus is. It's often the case that we get so caught up in the day-to-day and the struggle, and we forget to look to him as the king. We forget to look to him as sovereign. We forget to look at him and see him as sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um, and instead, getting, we get tripped up in, in, the, in wasted time. And as I sat at my office this week, and um, I, I, this video came to mind, and I just was so moved because we have to know who it is that is our Lord. We can't, we can't miss out on the fact that Jesus surely is the king. He's the king today just as he was then, and he'll be the king tomorrow, and he will and is able to overcome. And so I hope you enjoy this video, and we'll, 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 um, we'll wind it out with some, with some song. Enjoy. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any 
sing Jesus Messiah he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and he carried the cross love so amazing Love so amazing. Let's sing it, Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel. The rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your loving kindness that a holy God would love people like us, but that would come and abide in them. And so, Father, I pray that you would strengthen us all today. I pray that you would encourage us to live in your steps. Lord, to be so close to you that we would be covered in your dust, Father. I pray a blessing over each of these today, and I pray that that each of them would have a spirit of praise and worship throughout each day this week, that you would hold them close, but that more than that, they would even hold you close. And so, Father, um, be with us today as we go about our day, and um, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Oh, and one more thing. Father, let the patriots lose. Amen. Amen. I don't really care who wins or loses.